0: The Gospel reading is from Mark 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thanks be to God. You may know the story, the news story from 2018. uh, A guy named Scott Warren was arrested and charged with a crime that could put him in prison for 20 years. What did he do? Did he shoot someone? Did he kill someone while driving drunk? Did he sell heroin to kids? No. He gave food and water and medical attention to two men who were on the verge of death. And he was facing 20 years in prison. Wait, what? Say that again? That doesn't sound right. Well, the legal charge was harboring or concealing two people in the country illegally. And Scott Warren lives in Arizona near the Mexican border. Is this starting to make sense? Lots of news reports overly sensationalized this event, saying that he was arrested for putting water in the desert so migrants that are trying to cross the border wouldn't die of thirst. Now, he does do this, but this isn't what he was arrested for. He was arrested because two men walked from Central America to Arizona. They crossed the border, but were starving and thirsty and near death, so Scott Warren invited them in and took care of them for three days. Now, what is your first instinct when you hear about this story? What's your first thought? Don't do the crime if if you can't do the time. Or conversely, what kind of jackbooted thugs would arrest someone for giving shelter and medical aid to two dying men. This story, like the one in our gospel passage, is sort of a Rorschach test. Obviously, the incident at the Mexican border and Jesus finding reason to violate the Sabbath are very different. And because Questions of border security and walls and immigration law are very partisan questions. How we feel about Scott Warren's actions and his arrests are inevitably influenced by our political orientation. But both of these stories involve a person questioning and perhaps violating a statute in order to not only make a point about sort of codified injustice, but also to provide real physical care to a fellow human. And I think Mark is using this story as a sort of Rorschach test. And he's asking us, where do your deepest loyalties lie? Now I said, perhaps violating, Because it's not clear that Jesus himself violates the Sabbath law here. He tells the man to stretch out his hand, but he doesn't do any work for him. Yet the Pharisees are still incensed. And this is the first time in Mark that we get a hint of Mark writing in light of the coming execution which for him in writing would have been in the past, obviously. He knows it's coming in the narrative. And this is the first reference we get of someone plotting to kill him. It's the Herodians, which is a term that he sort of comes up with and invents here. Even while Jesus, however, maybe hasn't broken the law, technically speaking, his actions call their fundamental authority and their laws into question. For Mark, your response, our response to Jesus's actions are a mirror that tell us a lot about the orientation of our heart. And they tell us who really understands and stands ready to receive God's kingdom. Now, To us, the Sabbath seems like a bizarre thing to take so seriously. But for a Jew in ancient Palestine, the Sabbath was more than a day off. It was sort of a, a badge. It was a label. It was a sign of personal faithfulness to Yahweh. And it's not only a mark of personal, private devotion to God, but strict Sabbath observance marked out Israel as a nation and depicted their unique relationship with God. Keeping the Sabbath holy meant marking your days in the same way that God did in creation. The fourth commandment in Exodus 20 is rooted in God's rest on the seventh day. But in Deuteronomy 5, which we read, the other place that the Ten Commandments are listed, the Sabbath is meant to commemorate the exodus from Egypt. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. There's a a sort of looking back to look forward where the, the Sabbath isn't just a commemoration of something in the past, but it's an act of weekly eschatological resistance. It is a resistance that is rooted in the coming of Jesus. It is eschatological resistance to everything that is enslaving and malevolent about our world. The Exodus is meant to say that this is what God is really like. The Exodus is meant to demonstrate that God's heart is bent toward human care and that his healing will ultimately prevail. Well, that, that seems completely inoffensive. That seems quite lovely. Why does Jesus seem so hell-bent on taking a sledgehammer to Sabbath observance? Well, it's because like so many political and religious symbols, it had become weaponized and had mutated into a sign of a fierce and exclusivistic nationalism. Instead of being a light to the nations and outsiders sort of streaming into Israel's gates, Israel had come to house this nationalistic Israel first sentiment where she wasn't the physical expression of God's gracious invitation to all humanity, but a sign of god's displeasure on all but israel and really not even all of israel but just the most faithful within israel as determined by among other things sabbath observance so the sabbath wasn't merely the dividing line between israel and the pagan nations but this insider-outsider attitude sort of spilled over into opinions toward fellow Jews. And the reality that the Sabbath pointed to was lost in the Sabbath rule. Now, how distorted Sabbath observance had become is clear in Mark because in each of these confrontations, between Jesus and the Pharisees, the issue at the, con- at the heart of the conflict is healing. Healing physical conditions, which themselves were a cause for social and religious exclusion. So Jesus, you see, is not only fixing what is broken, humanitarian concern for this person with a shriveled hand, But he's also liberating this person and all of the healings that we've seen on the Sabbath up to this point in Mark. He's healing them, liberating them from the social and religious isolation that comes with being considered unclean. And this is where we see that Jesus isn't just tweaking the Pharisees as uncaring curmudgeons, but he's really subverting the entire social structure that gave them power based upon having and constantly monitoring the clear distinctions of clean and unclean, of inside and out, of Jew and Gentile. Jesus here is undermining the ordered, predictable, religiously defined society that was overseen by the religious leaders of the day. And he says very starkly to them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill, not to put too much of a fine point on it, Jesus, is it legal to bring life and healing or sickness and death? Who would answer the latter? But what he's telling them is if your current interpretation of the Sabbath elevates a religious rule above giving care to a fellow human, something is deeply, profoundly, demonically wrong. God's kingdom, Mark is telling us, isn't made up of law keepers, but of people who are acquainted with grace, people who are are soft to the needs of others, people who go out of their way to unburden others in Jesus' name, people who prioritize Human needs above religious or legal etiquette. But Mark says they were watching in order to accuse him. They were lurking in the shadows, looking on in judgment from a distance. Something remarkable has just happened, something miraculous, something beautiful and they can't see it well they can see, see it but they they choose to oppose it their rules are more important than human need they've mistaken the sign of the sabbath for its substance substance and jesus says they are what they are hard-hearted Jesus reaches into the significance of the Old Testament, the stories of the Old Testament, one in particular, and he says that they are hard-hearted, which equates them with who? With Pharaoh. With Pharaoh, in seeking to make Israel holy, they've become more like Israel's mortal Enemy than her prophets and her patriarchs. But instead of being willing to sort of hold their current practice up against what the Bible actually teaches, to reinspect their interpretation, they choose to partner up with Israel's current oppressors, no longer Pharaoh, but now the Herodians. The supporters of Herod Antipas, who ruled Israel in cahoots with the hated pagan Roman Empire, hard-hearted, indeed. So why is this here? Why is this here for us? We've we've made non Sabbath observance almost an art form. So it's not like there's anyone measuring our spirituality by how we're spending our Sundays or maybe there is, who knows? I'm joking. I mean, it's always fun to read about an enemy that we can all agree upon so we can join together in denouncing them. It's enjoyable to feel superior. And the Pharisees are easy targets. And as long as we keep this passage about them, then we can end our time feeling pretty, pretty good about ourselves. But if I'm the Holy Spirit, and I'm not, but if I was, I would want us to ask, in light of this story, what, what structures, what customs, what rules do I use to filter out the humanity in front of me? What structures, customs, rules do I use to put a label on the people in front of me? What metrics do I use to separate, clean, and unclean, insider and outsider, worthy and unworthy in ways that make me feel better about myself and about my relationship with God. And how often are these things not only just a way to feel superior, but they're actually a way to insulate me from having to care about the needs of my neighbor. These things, these, these filters, these metrics that we use to judge other people, they they not only put us at odds with God, but they cause us to miss grace personally. They cause us to misinterpret God's intentions toward the world. See, Jesus is the living exodus. He's what all of our Sabbath hopes point to, that it's not just a select few who get rescued, but that Jesus comes for all of humanity. And his terms for invitation aren't law-keeping, they're not moral cleanliness, they're not Sabbath observance, but simply a heart that is, Soft towards grace. And how do we know? How do we know that our heart is not hard, but is fertile ground for grace? We ask ourselves, am I soft toward the needs of others? Do the burdens that other people carry, not just people like me, but people very much unlike me, Is my heart tender toward their needs, or do I look for escape clauses that would otherwise bind me to care for them? Are we open to including others in the story of grace in the same way that we were included? Do we look at anything and everything that stands in our way of participating in Jesus' kingdom and inviting others to do the same and say, burn it all down. That's what Jesus is doing with the way that the Sabbath was being practiced and what that represented about how society was structured. He's saying, burn it all down. There are those who get this because their hearts are soft. And what we need to recognize right now is that we shouldn't presume that our hearts are soft. At the very beginning of the service, I invited us to ask God to prepare our hearts to hear his word. And so our, our call right now isn't just to go out and change the way that we go about life it's to care more it's to look for opportunities all of that is great but we can do all of that and still miss grace our point this morning is that god would soften our hearts that we would ask god to do the work that only he can do and that is to make us tender towards grace and then the signs of that or that we look to unburden others, that we don't filter people, that we don't label people, that we don't judge people, because we know that we haven't been judged by anything but the cross and the resurrection, and we stand in the hope of both. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make us all to be people who are tender to your grace. We pray that, we would not be hard-hearted people, that we would not look for ways to excuse ourselves from caring for the needs around us, but we would reflect upon the way that you have made your way into our hearts and into the life of our church, and that is by grace, that is by mercy. And I pray that we would cling to it with everything we have, and that in town would be a place of mercy, a place of grace, a place that welcomes all, whatever their status is outside of the walls of the church, that their status would be child of God, loved one, included in Jesus. We pray that that would animate all that we do. And as we come to confess our faith and receive communion, We pray that your grace would be with us. Amen.